Welcome to the Ship Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's precious metals news. It's Friday, September 16th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. So last week I said it was the calm before the storm. Well, this week you got the storm. The CPI data for August came out and it was a big yikes, especially if you thought inflation was done. Newsflash, it's not. I'm sure you've heard by now the August Consumer Price Index surprised to the upside and it ramped up expectations for another aggressive Federal Reserve rate hike. Now, it also reveals a big problem for the Fed. A dirty little secret that most people haven't quite come to grips with yet. And to me, that's really the big story that's kind of buried in all of this data and pontificating we're getting from the mainstream. So first, let's break down the numbers, and then we'll talk a bit about the ramifications. The headline annual CPI number did cool down a bit from last month. It fell from, or it fell to 8.3% from 8.5% in July. But month on month, CPI actually rose 0.1%, despite another big drop in energy prices. And that gets us to the bigger problem. Core CPI, which of course excludes food and energy prices because supposedly they're more volatile. I think it's kind of dumb because, you know, we have to buy food and energy too, but whatever. This is the core is kind of a a big number that they like to talk about. It came in at 0.6% month on month. And on an annual basis, uh, core CPI rose 6.3%. That was up from a 5.9% annual increase uh, both in June and July. So while the main headline CPI number cooled a bit, core CPI actually heated up quite a bit. Now, the bottom line is inflation clearly hasn't cooled significantly, despite the falling energy prices. Now, another problem here is that this was kind of a surprise because projections were for headline inflation to actually fall 0.1% on the month and for the core to only increase by 0.3%. Now, obviously, that didn't happen. And that really is what accounts for the oversized reaction we got to this data. Now, as I mentioned, every single time I talk about CPI, I have to remind you that it is even worse than these numbers suggest. Because, of course, the CPI uses a government formula that understates the actual rise in prices. If you calculate CPI based on the formula that was used in the 70s, we're in like the 17% range, which is a historically high number still. Now, 8.3% bad enough, but just remember, whenever I say that number, it's actually almost double that. Now, I've already mentioned energy prices. Overall, they actually fell 5% just during the month of August. The gasoline index plunged by another 10.6%. So we got huge relief at the pump. You probably know that if you drive. But that wasn't enough to offset price increases in other categories. In fact, the only non-energy category to chart a price decline in August was used vehicles. Meanwhile, food prices rose another 0.9% during the month. Shelter costs were up 0.7%. You can actually look at the chart and see that pretty much everything other than energy was up and used cars. 
So, yeah, this in this notion that inflation is cooling, yeah, not so much. And I have to reiterate here, this is causing real pain for real people, right? You know that. You're a real person. Wrap your head around this. Annual consumer price increases are cumulative. So we had an 8.3% annual increase in prices year on year. So over the last year, the year over year increase in August 2021 was 5.3%. So when you factor in compounding, the two-year increase in your prices is in the 14% neighborhood. Again, double that if you actually used an honest CPI calculation. So you're talking about something in the neighborhood of 28%. That's how much more you're paying today than you were two years ago. But hey, don't worry about it. A little inflation is good for you. So we're told. But the markets, they're not really convinced that the inflation is good for us, or at least they don't think that what they think is going to be the Federal Reserve's response to all of this is going to be good for us. The Dow Jones fell by over 1,276 points on Tuesday. It was the seventh biggest drop that's based in points in history. It was also the worst day since the pandemic lockdowns. Other stock market indices charted similar declines. The Nasdaq, for instance, was down 5.16% uh, just on the day. Now, at the same time, the dollar index charted a huge swing as well, moving from 107.68 prior to the CPI data release and then rallying to close to 109.9. So that's a huge swing in the dollar to the upside because inflation is high. That makes the dollar stronger. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? Of course, when you have the dollar strengthening, you're going to see gold fall. Um, and it has every single time that we've gotten hotter than expected CPI numbers. We've seen a sell-off in gold, so this is predictable. But interestingly, the losses weren't of the same magnitude that we saw in the stock market. In fact, the yellow metal actually closed above $1,700 an ounce on Tuesday. Now, it did dip below that level in a day, but it actually closed above $1,700. It didn't settle below $1,700 until yesterday when it fell nearly $40 from the daily highs and hit more than two-year lows. Now, of course, all of this, the stock market sell-off, the big sell-off in gold, the strengthening of the dollar. We also had a big sell-off in bonds, so we saw uh, yields, especially on the short end of the curve, increase. All of this was due to the fact that now everybody expects the Fed is going to be even more hawkish. The markets have now priced in a 100% chance of a 75 basis point rate hike at the September FOMC meeting, which will be next week. And then... Um, as of Tuesday afternoon, there was a 24% chance of a full 1% rate hike. Economist Peter St. Ange pointed out that this big stock market crash that we saw was the result of just a one-quarter point upward adjustment to the interest rate expectation a year from now. So despite the fact that you know they're talking about maybe a 100 basis point hike in September, they're still only looking for interest rates to be a quarter of a point higher uh, than they were a week ago. So St. Ange, that led him to say, if we do go full Volcker, we ain't seen nothing yet. 
as far as the stock market goes. Of course, St. Ange is referring to former Federal Reserve Chairman Paul Volcker, who took interest rates to 20% in 1980 in order to slay the inflation of the 70s. Despite all of the tough talk, Jerome Powell ain't no Paul Volcker. And there is no indication that the central bank has the fortitude or, or even the ability from a technical aspect to push interest rates above the CPI. In other words, even if it goes big, let's say it delivers that 100 point basis hike or 100 basis point hike. Let's say they deliver that. It's not going to be enough to bend the inflation curve. I mean, yeah, this seems like really aggressive Fed policy. And it is, if you look at recent history, but it simply isn't given the extent of the inflation problem. You know, the numbers indicate that the Fed cannot win this inflation fight. If you look at all of the Fed tightening cycles since 1973, the central bank has never stopped tightening before the Fed funds rate was higher than the CPI. You know, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, um, but if we go by the Taylor rule, the Fed funds rate needs to be 9.69%. That's assuming a 2% real neutral rate. We're a long way from 9.69%, right? A long way to go to get to that level. Meanwhile, the economy is already shaky, and we're seeing these big drops in the stock market. Now, speaking of shaky, I just saw that the Atlanta Fed has now downgraded its Q3 growth projection to 0.05%. And if you've watched this estimate in the past, it tends to go a little lower and a little lower as we get closer and closer to the actual release of the GDP data. So basically, we're on the cusp, according to the projections, of a third straight quarter of negative GDP growth. Or the best, very minimal growth. Now, I wonder how Joe Biden and his crew is going to spin that one. So here's where we are. After denying the inflation problem for months and months and months, calling it transitory, the Fed started aggressively, at least by Fed standards, fighting inflation earlier this year. Now, over the last several months, the central bank has pushed interest rates from zero to 2.5%. And we may well be at 3.25% here in a week. That's higher than rates have been in well over a decade. The last time we saw rates go over 3% was 2008. Cue the ominous music. Now, I've talked about this before, about how in 2018, we saw the big stock market crash in the fall, and then we had the last rate hike in December, and then in 2019, they actually cut rates three times, uh, even before the pandemic, uh, which indicates to me that 2.5% is kind of the pivot point. So we're above that already, and they're talking about going another 75 basis points. And even at that, the Fed is still falling behind the inflation curve every single month. They have to get rates above the rate of inflation. And until they do that, they're basically just pouring gasoline on the fire a little bit more slowly than they were before. Now, here's the dirty little secret that the mainstream has yet to come to grips with. The central bank cannot pump trillions of dollars into the economy and then expect to undo that damage with a few little rate hikes. This was inevitable. When they went in... Well, I mean, it started in 2008, right? They did the massive QE after the 2008 financial crisis, and that really set the stage. You know, that was like putting all the, stacking up the wood and getting ready for the fire. And then when we got the pandemic, 
They poured the gasoline on and lit the match. And we've got predictably high inflation now. They've printed trillions and trillions, about nine, no, not, not nine. They, they started about $800 billion, and now they're just below $9 trillion. So they added about $8 trillion, injected that in the economy since 2008. We're supposed to be shocked that inflation keeps going up. Anybody that's surprised about this doesn't understand the dynamics of what's going on. Yeah, people are still saying, oh, it's supply chain issues. I heard that one the other day. Look, nobody seems to ask the question, why do we have supply chain problems? I mean, it might just might have something to do with the fact that they printed all of this money, handed it out for people to spend, and then they went out and spent it, and they weren't producing anything. No wonder we have supply chain problems. All of this was totally predictable. Didn't mean to rant. I was thinking today, you know, I rant a lot on this show. Maybe I should rant less. I'll take on the more measured newsman tone. Eh, nah, that'd be boring. We're not going to do that. Anyway, what I was getting to is that with quantitative easing that started in the wake of the 2008 financial crisis and then quadrupling down during the pandemic, the Fed blew up massive bubbles. We've got an insane stock market bubble. We've got a real estate bubble. We've got other asset bubbles. We have a debt bubble. The whole economy is like some kid blowing air into an entire pack of bubble yum. I did this when I was a kid, by the way. <laughs> the Fed can't take all of that easy money away without popping all of those bubbles. I'm serious. I did do that. I would chew an entire pack of bubble yum and then blow these giant bubbles. And of course, they inevitably would pop and end up in my face. Pretty much a good analogy of where we are with an economy. Just consider some of the things that will have to happen in order for the Fed to get inflation back to 2%. If it really keeps ratcheting up rates, if it accelerates its balance sheet reduction, this is the, these are things that are going to have to happen. We're going to have to have a crash in the stock, bond, and real estate markets. They'll have to allow a severe recession without coming to the rescue with stimulus. They'll create a worse financial crisis than 2008. They'll allow big banks to fail without bailing any out, including letting customers even lose their deposits. And they will force the federal government to slash spending, including making deep cuts in Social Security and Medicare. How many of those things? I don't think they'll let any of that happen, much less all five of those things. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing for sure that ain't happening, spending cuts. You know, there are some things that never change such as the federal government spending more money than it has month after month after month. And of course, August was no different. We just got the monthly Treasury report. The U.S. government ran a massive $219.6 billion budget deficit last month. Now, that actually nudged out July as the second largest monthly deficit in fiscal 2022. Keep in mind, the fiscal year runs from October through September, so we're heading right toward the end of the fiscal year. The budget deficit for fiscal 2022 now stands just below $1 trillion. We're at $945.7 billion. If things hold on average, probably going to finish just a tad below a trillion bucks. Now, the mainstream financial media is telling you that, hey, this is great news. That's way lower than last year. Well, yeah, that's because they've wound down a lot of the COVID stimulus spending that we got over the last couple of years that made those, you know, three and four trillion dollar deficits. 
But let's put that into a little bit of context. Prior to the pandemic, the U.S. government had only run deficits over $1 trillion four times, all during the Obama administration in the aftermath of the 2008 financial crisis. Now, Donald Trump almost hit the $1 trillion mark in 2019. He was just below it. Actually, if you if you take the year, like January to January and not the fiscal year, it actually was over um, a trillion dollars in 2019. He was on pace to run a trillion dollar deficit prior to the pandemic in fiscal 2020. The economic catastrophe caused by the government's response to COVID-19 gave policymakers an excuse to spend basically with no questions asked. Now, it appears the government is settling back into the status quo. That means running 2008 financial crisis-like deficits year after year after year. Obviously, that's a little bit of a problem. Now, the crazy thing is we're seeing these growing deficits this year, even though government receipts are way up on the fiscal year. But of course, more money doesn't help a whole lot when the Biden administration is blowing through literally about half a trillion dollars every single month. In August, Uncle Sam spent another $523.3 billion. This brought total spending for the fiscal year to just over $5.35 trillion. Now, do you think it's going to suddenly stop spending money? I don't think so. Get this. The U.S. government is still handing out COVID-19 stimulus money, and it wants more. I'm not kidding. The White House just asked for more COVID money in a supplemental spending request it sent to Congress this month. On top of that, Congress recently pushed through another massive spending bill that we've talked about. Meanwhile, the U.S. continues to shower money on Ukraine and other countries around the world. And, you know, we haven't even begun to see the impact of this student loan forgiveness. So here's the bottom line. The U.S. government can't keep borrowing and spending without the Fed monetizing that debt. It needs the central bank to buy treasuries to prop up demand for its bonds. Without the Fed's intervention in the bond market, prices are going to tank. And that's going to drive interest rates on the U.S. debt even higher. But with this ongoing inflation fight, the Fed isn't buying treasuries. It's actually shrinking its balance sheet. So the federal government faces a double whammy. These two things don't go together. Now, last week, or maybe it was the week before, things kind of run together. I can't remember. But anyway, I told you about a paper that was published by the Kansas City Federal Reserve Bank that acknowledged that the central bank cannot slay inflation unless the U.S. government gets its spending under control. In a nutshell, the authors of this paper argued that the Fed can't control inflation by itself. U.S. government fiscal policy contributes to the inflationary pressure and makes it impossible for the Fed to do its job. Here's what they said. Quote, trend inflation is fully controlled by the monetary authority only when public debt can be successfully stabilized by credible future fiscal plans. Now, do you think Joe Biden has some credible fiscal plans? Eh, I don't think so. Going on with the Fed paper, when the fiscal authority, that's the federal government, is not perceived as fully responsible for covering the existing fiscal imbalances, in other words, when it's borrowing, 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 the private sector expects that inflation will rise to ensure sustainability of national debt. Why does inflation have to rise? Because you're paying the inflation tax on this debt. Like I said, the Fed is monetizing the debt. It's spending money into the economy, that's inflationary. 
going on. As a result, a large fiscal imbalance, in other words, a big national debt or big deficits, combined with a weakening fiscal credibility may lead trend inflation to drift away from the long-run target chosen by the monetary authority. So in other words, the Fed is making a big excuse for not being able to control inflation, is blaming the federal government. It's not altogether wrong. Here's the thing. Fiscal responsibility, spending cuts, that's not in the cards. So something has to give, right? The Fed can't simultaneously fight inflation and prop up Uncle Sam's spending spree. I should say Uncle Joe. Either the government will have to cut spending or the Fed will have to keep creating money out of thin air in order to monetize the debt. You can decide for yourself which scenario seems most likely to you. So, ladies and gentlemen, here we are. We are going to get another rate hike in September. It's going to be pretty big, at least 75 basis points, I would suspect. Lord knows what the stock markets are going to ultimately do as it digests another rate hike. Now, keep in mind, October has historically been a month where we get big crashes in the stock market. I mean, I mentioned uh, 2018. We've seen this other times down the road. Fall, kind of a time when stock market gets antsy, right? So, I'm not sure what's going to happen after the September meeting. I mean, the Fed can keep pretending to fight inflation for a while. There's no doubt about it. In the same way, the central bankers denied inflation was a problem for months. They told you it was transitory. They can continue to tell you that the economy is strong and everything is fine. But at some point, the carnage will become too obvious to deny. We're already seeing it. If you want to look really closely, you can see all of the cracks in the economy. You can see the crashing housing market. Yeah, you know, I mentioned the Atlanta Fed lowering its GDP estimate. There's all kinds of things we're seeing in the economy that are no bueno. At some point, it's going to become too obvious to deny, too obvious to spin away. The question is then what? And here's the thing. You know, as I'm thinking about this, as I was kind of digesting all of this in my head this week, I really feel like we're left with more questions than answers, right? Like, how many more times can the CPI come out way hotter than expected? Because it's happened almost every time this year, with a couple of exceptions. How long can that keep happening and investors still believe that inflation is just going to go away? That the Fed is going to somehow win this inflation fight? Or how many more rate hikes can the Fed pull off before people realize they are ineffective at reducing inflation. How long until the dirty little secret I mentioned starts to become not so much a secret? How many more rate hikes will the Fed be able to get away with before the stock market really takes a big nosedive? Not just, you know, like we saw a single day uh, this week, but day after day after day of crash. And if the Fed keeps pushing the envelope until it rips apart, how long will it take for the Fed to pivot? That really right there is the key question. I don't know the answer. I'm certain that the Fed is ultimately going to pivot away from this tightening. The question is, how long will it go? How bad will the recession get before they start feeling the pressure to do something, like go back to stimulus? I mean, there are already people out there fretting that the Fed has tightened too much. I'm not kidding. They're saying that the Fed has overplayed its hands. So we're seeing that, wo that worry kind of creeping into the narrative. That noise is only going to get louder. So we can keep playing this game for a while longer, but at some point, the house of cards will come tumbling down. So that brings me to the question that I always ask as we get to the end of the show. Are you ready? 
And if the answer is no, or I don't know, I highly recommend talking to a precious metals specialist at Shift Gold today. You can call 1-888-GOLD-160. You can email info at shiftgold.com, or you can go to shiftgold.com, hit the Getting Started tab, and you can chat with um, one of our people right there online. And they'll talk to you about how precious metals can fit into your investment strategy, how all of this likely to impact the precious metals market. Look at your portfolio, your investment goals, and talk to you about how precious metals might fit into your investment strategy. A lot of people don't really consider precious metals. It's surprising how few people do. So talk to them. You have nothing to lose. Do it today. Call that number. With that, we're going to call this a gold wrap for the week. You can get more details on all of the stuff I've talked about today and more. And of course, keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week over at shiftgold.com news. If you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap on several podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, which incidentally, I think there was a problem with the feed last week. It didn't update as it should. I think that's fixed. So hopefully you guys will get that. Um, but we are there. We're also on other platforms. We're on Stitcher. We're on Spotify. We're on Google Podcasts. Uh, we're on YouTube. All the links to that stuff on the show notes page at shiftgold.com slash news. If you want to email me, mmaharry at shiftgold.com. That's M-M-A-H-A-R-R-E-Y at shiftgold.com. Love hearing from folks. I'm slow to get back sometimes, but I will get back to you eventually. Again, I really appreciate you listening to the show. I hope you have a fantastic weekend, and I will talk to you again next week.